This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Tonight we're starting the third lesson in um, the series that I'm teaching here. It's called Purpose and Singleness. And last week I was telling you, um, if you want to put a little subtitle, you don't have to, but the focus of, of last week's lesson and this week's lesson is maximizing the state that I'm in. So let's go ahead and, if you will, go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is kind of where we're, uh, our foundational scripture here. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The last couple of weeks, I've read verses 25 through 38. Tonight, I'm just going to read verses 25 through 31. So tonight, we're going to do a little review, and then we're going to get into um, the new information, because I have a lot of stuff that I want to cover tonight. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to read verses 25 through 31. And it says, Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, Yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man to be so. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both that they have wives be as though they had none, and though that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not, and they that use this world as not abusing it. For the fashion of this world passeth away. Actually, let's go to 32. But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried cared for the things of the Lord that belong, excuse me, for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. So what we're talking about here, we're talking about purpose and singleness. So if, if this is the first time you're hearing this, just because if you're married, you can still listen to this. This, is, this word will, will help no matter what situation you're in, whatever state you're in, whether you're married, single, or whatever. What, we were, what I was reading there is basically what Paul is saying in the Church of Corinth. He's saying, okay, at this present time, if you're married, stay married. If you're not married, don't look to be married. But if you, need, if you want to get married, it's not, it's not wrong. It's not wrong to be married. It's not wrong to be single. There's nothing wrong with either one of those. It's fine. So single or married, doesn't matter what state that you're in, the goal, the goal is focused ministry. That is focused service to God. And the important thing is, is that you complete the assignment that God gave you. It's not marriage, single, married, whatever you want to call it. Those things will happen. If you get married, that's fine. If you don't get married, that's fine too. But the thing you have to focus on is serving God, completing the assignment that he gave you. And we said that every person starts off single. Nobody's born married. So everybody has been single. And some people will be single again. They may be married now, but they may be single again. So being unmarried is an unavoidable state. So the objective of this teaching, these lessons that I'm teaching, is that we as believers need to learn how to maximize the single, or we can call it unmarried, whichever one you want to 
whatever term you want to use, that state, the unmarried state, and fulfill God's purpose. It's very important that we know as believers how to have godly success in an unmarried state. So God is not waiting to use you for when you get married. So you're not like set on a shelf because you're single, and God will say, well, I'll use you when you get married. Or your purpose is different because you're single, and, and I'll use single people in a little bit of way. I don't have a big purpose for them, just small things. No, that's not what God is saying. God is saying, I'm going to use you no matter what state that you're in. So you have to know how to have, be successful in the things of God as an unmarried person. Because God is going to use you. And remember, we all start off unmarried. So there's going to be a time, there in a lot of us, in our lives that we are single and God wants to use us in that state. So in order for us to be used by God, first of all, we have three points that we're going to go over. First of all, we want to get in position. And we talked about that um, three weeks ago. So we talked about getting in position. Last week we started with our second point, which was move in position. And we're going to finish that up. Excuse me, move with purpose. We're going to finish that up tonight. And then um, the last point is we want to stay in purpose. So we want to get in position. Once we're in position, we're going to move with purpose. And then once we're moving with purpose, we're going to stay in purpose. So before we actually get into talking about or reviewing the get in, uh, getting in the purpose, I want to make sure that we set a level playing field here and let you know we're not just talking about people who uh, have never been married. When we say single, there are different types of single believers. There are those who are still Adolescents, they're teenagers, they're, they're young adults. They have not been married. They still live in the house with their parents. There would be like our youth with conviction. That group, they are single believers. They're not married. So even though their parents are making decisions for them and basically have the responsibility for them because they're in their house and they're still of that specific age where they're under their parents' tutelage, then they're still considered single believers because they're not married. Then you have older single believers. They're not, they're kind of that post-teenage, young adult. That would be like our um, next generation. Those are the ones that have grown up. Maybe they're, they're kind of getting out of college. They're starting their career. And they're not married yet, but they're taking on more responsibility. They're making their own decisions. Now they're going to their parents still and those who counsel them for counsel, but they're making the decisions because they've grown up. Then you've got the responsible or the mature adult. That's the person who's maybe a little bit older than those, uh, the next generation, but they still have not been married. So those are all people who are single. They've never been married. Then you have another group, and they've been married before, and maybe the marriage has ended due to death or divorce, yet they're still single or unmarried believers. They're not, they're not married. Now, this group is different because they've experienced marriage. Now, the first group that I talk about, those who've never been married, if you've never experienced something, all you can do is think about what it is. You have, like, it's so funny, I'll talk to married people, and there's one couple, I'm like, I know this is what y'all do. I know you make lunch for him when he's home, and they're like, no, this is still that is not how it goes. I've never been married. So in my mind, I'm like, yes, that's how it goes. But I've never experienced that. People who have been married, and maybe their marriage has ended due to death or divorce, they've experienced marriage. They know what it's like to be in the institution of marriage, so they have a different mindset versus someone who, as far as marriage goes, let me clarify that, as far as marriage goes, they have experience. They're not thinking, this is how I think it would be. They say, no, this is how I know it would be. And because of that, what they, because of that, they may view certain things in a different way. Someone who is widowed, 
may have a different view of marriage than someone who has maybe been divorced because of the experience in the institution of marriage. But the thing about it is, no matter whether you're unmarried, never been married, no matter whether you've had a marriage um, ended due to death or divorce, in all of those groups, we all have different experiences. We're all in different places in our lives. But the thing about that is, what God is saying is, I want you to accomplish what I told you to accomplish. It doesn't matter what state of unmarried believer you're in. We all have the same goal, and that is pleasing God. So we're not going to get caught up. Yeah, we have those different experiences. It is important to know that there are different types of people who are unmarried because those different experiences mean different things. But the whole, what it boils down to is that we all have to please God, and that is our focus. We are not going to use our experiences as um, a crutch or an excuse not to please God. God is not saying because you're a teenager and you've never been married before, I don't, have, I don't want you to please me. No, God is saying, no, right where you are, no matter what state you're in, I want you to please me. I want you to have that goal of focused ministry. So then we talked about getting in position. And to get in position, we have to be in the position that God has placed us. That's what we want. We want to be where God has placed us. We don't want to get away from God. So we talked about the external and the internal position. The internal position, that's like our heart, our mind, our thoughts. Our external position are the things that people can see. So, for example, like marriage, that's an external position because that's something you can see. So both my external and my internal position are subject to change. In order to be used by God, my internal position must be in alignment with him, even if my external position never changes. What that means is I have to align my thoughts, my hearts, my, my, my heart, my will, and my desires to the purpose of God. And it doesn't matter if the things around me change or not, I still have to stay in alignment with God. And we looked over in Romans chapter 5 when we talked about God's perspective of the unmarried believer. We're not going to go there, but what we were talking about is that God didn't, when, when he saves us, Guess what? I was thinking about this. He saves each and every individual. So when you go to God, salvation is for a single believer. So if you're not, you don't get to, a married woman doesn't get to say, I want to be saved and I want salvation for me and my husband. No. The believer, you are saved as a one person, as an individual. When God brought you in and put you into position, into his family through Jesus Christ, that is the position that he gave you. Now, your external state may change. You, get, you may get married. You may not get married. But what God is saying is you're still a member of this body. You are still a member, and there are still things that I want you to do. Now, I've brought you in. So God brought us in. We were outside. Sin, sin pushed us out. Through Jesus Christ, God brought us back in. And so what he's saying is now that you're in, I've done all that for you to get you in. I'm going to keep you in. So we don't have to get worried about the things that are going on with our life because God is going to keep us. There's nothing in your life that you've done, that you are doing, that you're thinking or feeling that's hidden from God. God loves you. Through all of this, God loves you. He still wants you and he still made a way for you to come back to him. So listen, don't get caught up 
and you know things happen and you get start thinking crazy thoughts or maybe you do something you're not supposed to do and you think oh no God is done with me he you know I'm worthless no God's not saying that God's like look I've made a way for you to come back to me I still have purpose in mind I still have purpose for you now what I want to make clear is what God is not doing is God is not excusing your sin or putting up with your sin so now, if you've gone out and you've done something against the will of God, or you're living against the will of God, God, is, He still wants you, but he, what He's doing for you now is He's saying, I'm giving you an opportunity to repent, turn away from that sin and come to me. There's still a place for you once you repent. God is not excusing your sin in any way. He is not saying, He is not saying, come to me and I will, will excuse that sin. I'll write you a little letter and say, oh, you get a special place. You can still be in sin. That's not what God is saying. What he is saying is, repent, come to me, and we'll work things out. So just remember, don't get bogged down in thinking that you're not valuable to God, because you are. God's not ignoring your experiences, and neither should you. So when we were looking at, when I was talking about the different types of unmarried believers, all of those, those groups had different experiences. And... The, the experiences that we've had in our lives, they're real. They've shaped us. They, they, they've made us maybe think certain ways, maybe do things a certain way. And they are real. And God's not ignoring that. And he's saying neither should you. Those experiences, God may take those experiences that you've had that you may think were the worst things that happened in your life, heal you from them, and then help you and show you how to be a blessing to somebody else because of those experiences. So what God is saying, no, I'm not saying sweep that under the rug and don't ever talk about it. Don't ever, um, don't ever act like it never happened. That's not what God is saying. He knows it happened. If you're not healed from it, he wants to heal you. He wants to make you whole. And he wants you to be useful in his kingdom. So as God has already given us a position, we have to stay in that position. A lot of times what we think of ourselves changes makes us not stay in that position, makes us not do what God has called us to do. Because we think that there's something in and of ourselves that we actually can do. There's some strength we have in and of ourselves, and if we can't muster up that strength, we think we can't do it. But no, it's the strength of God. It's Him positioning you. It's Him strengthening you that allows you to accomplish what He wants you to accomplish. So we looked over in Romans chapter 12, and we talked about uh, verses 1 through 5, and we talked about everybody being a member of the body. God places us in the body. We're all members of the body, and we're not actually going to read that. And no matter what your marital state is, you're placed in the body. There's a purpose for you in the body. There's something that you are supposed to be doing. So every member of the body has work to do right now. Not, not when you get in a different state, but where you are now. So we can't let the wrong mindset keep us from doing the will of God. And that's the work of the ministry. When we're not doing the work of the ministry, we're out of position. And we have to get in position. So we have to get in the position that God has called us to be in. So that is getting in position. Last week we started the second point, which is move with purpose. So let's go ahead and we're going to review this. But I do want to read Matthew chapter 6. So if you will, flip over to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start off in verse 19. So we're going to read.
read verses 19 through 25 and then jump down to 31 through 34. So Matthew chapter 6, um, starting at verse 19. It says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor, nor yet for your body for what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Now skip down to verse 31. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we, shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take no thought, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So we were looking at this, and we were talking about our focus and our treasure. So, in the, in the verse, it was talking about treasures. It says, lay up your uh, treasures in heaven. And what is treasure? Well, that's what's important. That's what you trust in and that what you consider valuable. So wherever your treasure is, that's where your focus is going to be. And your focus is your center of interest or activity. It's the center of attention. It's what you concentrate on. So if your treasure are here on earth, then you're concentrating and focusing on earthly things. If your treasure is in heaven, then you're uh, concentrating on heavenly things. And we looked at it, and we talked about the um, in verse 22 how the Jewish uh, in the Jewish culture they uh, thought the eyes. What they said about the eyes was that was the window into your soul. So as the light came in, the light would come in through your eyes, and basically what it's saying it lights up everything. So that's the window to your soul, and what that does it determines who you are. So as the light come in, it would produce the desires, and the desires produce the actions in your life. So what it's saying is, if your focus, if your center of interest and activity is single, and that single is being singularly on God, singularly on his purpose, then your whole body's full of light. But if your focus is not on God, then guess what? Your whole body is full of darkness. And it talks about in verse 24 that you could, a man, you can't have two masters. You can't, a master is supreme in authority. It's the ultimate authority. So just the word ultimate knows that there can't be more than one. Supreme can't be more than one. We cannot have two masters. Either you're going to hold to one and push the other away, or you're going to love one and hate the other. So God should be our only focus. And as we follow him, he's going to provide all the things that 
concern you. And as you follow him and you focus him, the light, he is light. So as you focus on him, that light is going to shine into you and you will be able to see and you'll have a perspective and you'll know how to order your life because you're focused on him. Um, then when we skip down to uh, verse uh, 33, it says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So what does that mean, to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness? What that is, is we're seeking the character and the attitude of God, his way of doing and being right. We're not looking for anything else. We're not looking for this world standard. We're not going to take a standard of, for ourselves and kind of make our own, you know, kind of hodgepodge it, take a little bit of God, take a little bit of the world and make our own. No, we're going to focus on his character and his attitude. And then we saw a lot of times in there it says take no thought. So take no thought, what that is, is that's translated from the Greek means to be drawn in different directions. So what it's saying is don't be drawn in different directions by all these things that are coming up in your life. Things are going to come up. You've got to eat. You've got to have clothes. There are things that are going to happen that, that you will have to give maybe a little attention to, but don't be drawn in the direction of those things. So if you think about it, let's think about focusing. So when we focus, if you were to look like I'm looking straight ahead at some double doors, so I'm looking straight ahead, when I change my focus, now I'm drawn in a different direction. Now I'm looking in a different direction. What I see is totally different. I can still see those double doors in the peripheral vision, but it's not my focus. So I may miss something over there because I'm focused in the wrong direction. So what I don't need to do is I don't need to take thought of what's going on beside me. Yes, I notice it because I can see it, but I need to keep my focus. Now. When I take thought and let my eyes wander or my focus, my mindset, my heart wander away from God, that's when I become distracted. Distraction is the process of diverting the attention of an individual or group from a desired area of focus and thereby blocking or diminishing the reception of desired information. And we're still reviewing, so I'm still going over this kind of quickly. Distraction is caused by the lack of the ability to pay attention, lack of interest in the object of attention, the great intensity, novelty, or attractiveness of something else other than the object of attention. So you can be distracted because you just don't have the ability to pay attention. You know, sometimes when you're really, really sleepy, you just can't pay attention. Sometimes when you're really hungry, you can't pay attention. Then you might also have a lack of interest. Whatever you're supposed to be focusing on just may not be interesting to you. You know, like I, I, I go back to like school. I did not like math. I could not focus on it. I didn't like it. So I was distracted because I, I didn't, wasn't interested in it. And then the third one is a great intensity or novelty, novelty or attractiveness of something else. That means something else looks better than the thing you should be focusing on. And a lot of times that's what we, we get. We, we see something else that looks better than what we should be focusing on, so we get distracted. Now, we can have distractions that come from external sources. So, for example, um, if somebody gets up and moves, that may distract you. That's an external source. You can also have internal sources. I talked about hunger and sleepiness. Those are internal things. You, necessarily, you can't necessarily see those things. But both the external and the internal distractions contribute to the interference of focus. And just because you can't physically see the distraction doesn't mean it's not distracting you. Distractions can be all mental. 
But even though those mental and internal distractions, those, they will still display in your external behavior. If you're distracted, it's going to come out. Distractions, they don't necessarily come from sinful or wrong behavior. Sometimes a distraction can come from information or a situation that's not handled properly. A distraction can come from a responsibility that's mismanaged. There's information, there's responsibility, there's situations that we have to handle. Those are all natural considerations, things we have to consider, things we have to, to take in, like, like you know you have to eat. So that's a natural consideration. I just don't let be, having to eat become a distraction for me. Natural considerations, we have to handle them by God's standard, His commandments, and His guidelines. So, for example... Since we're talking about being singleness, purpose and singleness. So, a natural consideration is dating. A single person can go out with another single person. A single person, they can have dinner together. That's fine. But that is governed by God's standard, His commandments, and His guidelines. And what God is saying is, don't let that natural consideration become a distraction. Don't let you dating somebody, going out really for dinner, or, well, we can't do that now, but you know, going out to a movie, going out, whatever you do, don't let that become a distraction for you. Don't pull, don't let what should be focused on God and His purpose be focused on dating. That's what I mean by natural consideration. It's a natural consideration. Take care of it the way God says take care of it, but never change your focus. Do not change your focus. When we ignore or mishandle our natural considerations, they become distractions. A distraction sets conflicting preoccupations or interests that it induce extreme agitation. And another word for agitation is anxiety of the mind or emotion, and it produces uncertainty. So when you're distracted, you've got conflicting things going on in your mind, and it's producing anxiety, and it's causing you to be uncertain. So, and that happens because distraction takes our, our focus off what is important and places it on something else. The distraction, it changes our focus from what it should be to something else. And when that happens, so think about it, I'm looking straight ahead at these double doors. When I turn, now I'm looking somewhere else. Now, even though I could see this room before, the perspective is changed. So it is skewing what I'm seeing. So before, what seemed to be just to the left of me is now extreme left. And what used to be extreme right is right near me. So that's what distraction does. does, You still see certain things, but it all looks different. So now, the way things should be, your perspective or your perception of things is off. So what happens is when you're distracted and your perception is off, that's how you can believe that God's forgotten you. Or that your circumstances are bigger than God because your focus is off. Your focus is somewhere else and God is saying, no, look at me. And you're turned in a different direction. And now you're like, well, God, I can't see you. I can only see you in this, in the corner of my eye. And God said, no, I'm much bigger than that. You just need to turn to the right direction. So how do you know when you're distracted? And this, this is, is interesting. So I said, and I said this last week, I'm distracted when I'm not focused on the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And it was like, well, you just said what you just... Yes, but the thing about it is, usually you don't know when you're distracted. Something has to come in and basically tell you that you're distracted. Something has to interrupt the distraction. 
something has to come in and say, hey, you're distracted. So we talked about um, last week, you know, we're doing the live stream and everybody's using Facebook and Facebook has all these other little things. You got comments, you got somebody maybe wanting to chat with you. you you're using some device, so you could always send an email, you could send a text. All those are distractions. Now that I brought it up, now that distraction has been interrupted. So what you can do is you can turn and say, oh, wait a minute, let me focus back on what I'm supposed to be doing, which is hearing the word. Or you can keep going in that same direction with the distraction you were going with. Or, you know what, you can even do another distraction. You can say, well, now since I'm distracted, I might as well go ahead and cook dinner or wash those dishes. So you don't necessarily know you're distracted. Somebody has to call that distraction out for you. And then you have to choose to stop being distracted, distracted and refocus. Distracted people become discontent. So what is discontent? Discontent is a dissatisfaction with one's circumstances. It's a restless aspiration for improvement. A dis, uh, discontent means what I have or what I am is not good enough. The bad thing about discontentment, it is can lead to desperation. Desperation is a state of despair typically one that results in rash or extreme behavior. It's a great need or what you consider a great need that can make you act irrationally. Desperation can cause you to compromise. And I was thinking about this and I was thinking, you know, just this the whole stereotypical thing. Um, the desperate woman who wants to get married. So the, she loses her focus. She's no longer focused on God. She's focused on getting married. Her biological clock is ticking or whatever reason she wants to get married. There's a lot of reasons. Um, so now she's losing her focus. She's discontent. So now she says, well, I've got to change my situation. I've got to get married. Now I'm discontent. My focus is not God. My perspective is skewed. So I'll go out and I'm desperate. So I will go out and I will, will date and I will marry someone who is not who I'm supposed to marry. They're not what God has said. They're not a godly man. But, remember, now their perspective is skewed, is pulled away. So when I'm focused on God, now, while that, that woman was focused on God, she could, she could spot that ungodly man. She could spot that man who maybe, maybe he was godly, but maybe he just wasn't ready for marriage. She could spot those things because her focus was God, and God would say, okay, I want you to see this and this. But when she turned, now God is only, only has her peripheral. And she can't see everything he's showing her because she's looking over here towards marriage, which he's saying, no, I need you to focus on me. So that, that, that's how it goes. So first of all, I lose my focus. Then it's discontentment. That discontentment leads to desperation. Now I compromise, and now I've got myself in a, in a situation that God said, had you just focused on me, you would have been in a different place. So what do we do? What do we need so that we don't get to this desperate uh, situation? We have to be content. So this is kind of where we kind of ended off last week. So contentment. Contentment is internal satisfaction which does not demand changes in external circumstances. It is an inner sufficiency that keeps me at peace despite outward circumstances. When I'm content, I'm not driven by a desire to get the things that I want. My greatest aim is to please God. Go over to Philippians chapter 4. And, you know, I, I was looking at this and uh, just thinking about the goodness of God. I'm, I'm trying to think. I think I got this assignment like last year. And I'm trying to think. The, I did the notes 
I'm thinking maybe in February, and I think about the time that we're in right now and how good God is. God's word is across the board. He knows what we need. So let's go over to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to talk about contentment. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to look at verse, uh, verses 11 through 13. So verse 11 says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therefore, excuse me, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, Christ which strengtheneth me. So Paul here is saying, he said, I know how to be content. So contentment is divinely bestowed sufficiency, whatever the circumstances. And, and the big word there is divinely bestowed. Christ is the source of my contentment. If Christ is not the source of your contentment, you're not content. Contentment is the freedom from reliance upon other people or things. It doesn't matter what else is going on. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. Because contentment is the freedom from reliance upon other people or things. It's the satisfaction of one's needs. So my needs are satisfied through Christ. Contentment and this, this, is, this is what I want people to understand. Contentment is not a lack of desiring or wanting something. It has nothing to do. You can desire, you can desire an ice cream cone. You can desire to get married. It's not the lack of that desire or that want, but it's the control of one desire, one's desires. It's not allowing your desires to control you. You may want a certain thing, but what you, have, you realize is, Paul said here, it doesn't matter whether I'm full, whether I'm hungry. I can be content in that state. I'm sufficient. I'm not running out trying to grab and try to uh, fix or obtain this thing that I think that I need. I'm content. Contentment is my sufficiency is found in Christ. Everything that I need, he's provided. That's the thing. And you know, contentment... It's trusting God. It is full trusting God. Whatever I need, if God doesn't have it, then I don't need it. If God's, not, if God's saying no, then I don't need it. That is what contentment is. It's, it's not, like I said, it's not, not wanting things. You will want things. You will desire things. But in contentment, you're going to live and please. Your aim is going to still be to please God, and you're going to keep going whether you get that thing or not. And the thing about it is, um, verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You know, we hear people say that a whole lot. The time you should say it is when you're, trying, when you're being content. I can, do, I can live in this situation that I'm in because Christ strengthens me. You know, we are, you, people, oh, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. But what you have to remember, what he's saying is, no matter what state I'm in, I am strengthened through Christ so I can continue and I can do those things that God has called me to do. Getting the thing you want is not going to make you content. Contentment is not, is not, getting, a need, is not getting something you want satisfied. 
That's just because, like, okay, we'll go back to the ice cream cone. So if I get an ice cream cone after I get off the podium, tomorrow I'm going to want another ice cream cone. And then, you know what, Friday I'm probably going to want two because the first two was so good. I might as well double it up. So that's not, getting the thing you want is not going to make you content. Because once you get the thing you want, you're going to want something else. You're going to say, maybe this would be better. Well, I thought it was going to be this way, and I thought it was going to be that way, because now you got it, because that's not what you're trying to satisfy. You're just, you, what you should do is you should be content in Christ, because that's really what's going to satisfy and fulfill you. Contentment only comes when God is the center of your attention, when he's what you concentrate on, when he's what you focus on. When you're content, it'll keep you from making the wrong decisions at the making decisions at the wrong time. Like that example I was giving you of, of the desperate person who gets married out of season, who picks makes the wrong decisions. When you're content, you won't do that. Because you, you can wait on God. You you can go back to that scripture. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. I can make it through this situation. I can make it through this time. Through because Christ strengthens me. Contentment will keep me from doing things based on desperation, based on competition, or peer pressure. When I'm content, and a lot of times, you know, as single people, you know, you're like, oh, well, why haven't you gotten married? Why haven't you done this? Well, you just might as well go and do that. No, you got to be content. You got to stay where God has placed you. You got to say, you know what? I am focused on Christ. I am focused on the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When things need to change, God will tell me. When God wants something in my, in my state to change, then he'll let me know. He'll put those things uh, in front of me. He'll show me how to make those decisions. I don't care what my friends are doing. I don't care how many, many times my family calls me. And when you go to the family reunion, you're still not married? Well, what's wrong with you? I don't care if people think what people think and all these kinds of things. I am content. Contentment is what keeps you from making those decisions and acting out of, out of the wrong motivation. So that is our focus. So what we're talking about here is we're talking about uh, moving with purpose. So now we're moving. We have our focus. The second point here is we want to maximize this time in our life. So we're talking about purpose and singleness. And in this point, we want to maximize the time in our lives, the season that we're in. So let's go over to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. And, and as I read this, just listen to kind of how it goes. It'll, it'll give you one thing, and then it'll give you another thing that the time is for. Just kind of pay attention to that. To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. So there's a time for one thing, and a time for another thing. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to rend, and a time to sow, a 
time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. So we were looking at that, and it says to everything there's a season. There's a time to every purpose. And it went through, and it says, I like that one. You know, we think about it now. You know, I just think about us at Church of Living Water. We love to embrace, right? We love to hug each other. shake each other. But right now, there's a time to refrain from embracing. There will be a time where we can embrace again. But right now, this is the, not the season for that. So what God is saying here, he's saying there's a time for everything. Everything can't be done in every season. So we have dispensations or spans of time in our lives that are determined by God. The one thing I want to drive home is is this season, they are not determined by us. No matter how much we want to make them determined by us, they're not. They're determined by God. And in these times, there are specific things that are more conducive to being accomplished during those seasons. So, for example, I was just talking about a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time that right now it is not conducive, not good to embrace. Because they're saying, oh, no, no, stay away from people. But there will be a time when it's fine to do that. So in the time that it's fine to do it, do it. When it's not time to do it, don't do it. That's what God is saying. He's saying we have to make sure that we make the most out of the season that we're in. You know, I was I was thinking about it. And growing up, uh, I grew up in the country, and we would plant things. And there were certain times where you planted certain certain vegetables, certain fruit. And then there were certain times where you didn't plant anything; just kind of waited. So I was thinking, you know, a farmer doesn't go out when it's raining and try to plant something because it's not conducive to doing that. What we have to realize is this is why you have to stay focused. We have to know the season that God has put us in. We have to know the season that we're in because there's something God wants us to accomplish in this season. There are things that he wants us to get done that can be done in this season. And we've learned this. We've learned the scripture of living water. We've learned this. That there are certain things that have to be done in this season to set you up for the next season. And if you don't get them done in this season, so for example, let's see here. I like this one. Um, A time to break down and a time to build up. So if you think about, um, think about all the construction that's going on, a lot of times they have to break everything down before they can build it up. Now, in a construction project, if they don't break those things down and dig the earth up and do all that, time, that stuff, if that group that does that does not do that in a timely manner in that season that they're supposed to, because it's an appointed time, they say from this date to this date, this is when you're getting it done. When the group that comes in to build up, they can't do it. You can't do it because there's a season for that. So we have to recognize the seasons in our lives that we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to do in those seasons to be productive believers. The thing about it is you can't rush a season. You can't slow it down. You can't start it. You can't end it. Once again, that's determined by God. If you don't accomplish the things that you're supposed to accomplish in the season, you won't be ready for the next season. So just think about it. Remember, time is linear. It keeps going. So if you're suppo- so for example, I have a certain amount of time that I'm supposed to finish. I can't stop that time. Time is going to keep going. And whatever I've done in that amount of time is what I've done. And if I don't get it done, guess what? That time is over. That door is closed. So that's what God is saying. That time is over. That door is closed. 
So then you go to the next season, and you're trying to hang on. You're like, well, God, I didn't finish. Give me a little bit more time. And God's like, no, I gave you an appointed time. So he's saying, no, you got to get that done because the next time, because next week I got, I, I'm going to have an a, a appointed time, and I still have information that I have to finish. So the same thing with our lives. There are things that we're supposed to complete, things that we're supposed to set up. It may be a time to, be, uh, to tear down some things in your life, and God is saying, this is the time I need you to tear them down because this is when it's conducive. Because, you know, when you think of tearing things down, you think of destruction, you think of pain and hurt and all those things. And God saying, maybe that is going to come with this tearing down, but at this time, this is when I can heal you. This is when there's going to be comfort. This is when I'm putting all these things in place so that, that, that you can get that done and be ready for the next season, which is to build something up. So God is saying you have to get these things done in this appointed time. So I was thinking about an example of this. So I was going back to, I was thinking about the family life the teachings that we've had about the purpose of the family and um, the role of the wife and mother and then the role of the husband, the father. Um, you know, there's a specific time in your life where you're supposed to be getting the word on be a godly man and a godly woman. So I, I was thinking specifically about the role of, was it the role of the, uh, the male and the role of the female? And there are some people, like me, we, we heard those teachings and we're not married. And God is saying, get those things now. Get those things now. Learn those things. And that's the season that you're supposed to learn those things. So let's say you're, you're here or you've been here because we've done those teachings before. And you heard them and you didn't take heed. You didn't get that word in your heart. You didn't plant, plant it in your heart and it didn't bring forth fruit. But you went ahead and you got married. So now you're in a different season. And what should be a time to pluck up the seed that was planted, there should be some fruit that should be growing from the word that was planted in your heart. Now you're in a state of marriage, and it's time to put those things in practice, like uh, being submitted to your husband, and you can't. And you're like, well, why, why are things not working? And now you're trying to run in and find all the podcasts on submission and all these different things, and God's saying, you're trying to plant when it's time to pluck up. And that's not, that's not how it can work. You can't plant it and expect the seed to grow up right away. God is saying, no, there's a season for that. So we have to make sure we do what God is saying we're supposed to do in the season that he says to do it. So we need to maximize that season. So we maximize the season that we're in. What does it mean to maximize? It means to make the best of. So make the best use of the season that you're in now. No matter what it is, no matter if it's difficult, it may be hard, it may be something that you don't want to go through, you may not like this season, but still make the best of it. Maximize the season. Time is going to continue and the seasons will change. This, this will not, whatever season you're in won't last forever and it will change. So finish the work that you're supposed to do in this season, in the season that you're in. So just, just be content. Just trust God. Just maximize it. Your season is not the same season as somebody else's season. Now, things may be like now, you're like, well, we're all in this, this, this uh, stay at home, stay safe, whatever they call it, thing together. Yes, we're all in this together, but what God is saying to one person, the season that they're in, may not be the same season that you're in. So stop comparing yourself and trying to do what somebody else is doing and do what God is telling you to do during this season. Doing things out of God's order, it only brings disappointment. When you do things out of season, you make things harder in your life. 
Things don't have to be that hard. When you do them out of season, they're always going to be hard. So it doesn't matter how many plans you make. If you haven't committed your actions to the Lord, they won't succeed. Go over to Proverbs chapter um, 16. So we have to commit our ways to God. We have to trust God. We have to make sure everything that we're doing is lining up with Him. We're not doing things on our own, out of our own strength, out of our own way, what we think is right. So Proverbs chapter 16, we're going to read verses 2 and 3. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. So what we have to do is we have to trust God. We got, we have, what we're doing, what, what we're talking about here, remember, is maximizing the season that we're in. We have to trust God. We have to trust his timing. But we can't trust our own counsel. That, second ver- that, first, that verse 2 says, All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord wears the Spirit. When you really want to do something, you can convince yourself that it's right. So we don't trust our own counsel. We trust God. We trust the counsel that he gives us. So we trust him. We trust his timing. To maximize the season that we're in, we have to stop plotting and planning how you're going to do what you want to do and start praying. You've got to start seeking God. So, you know, you think about it. Okay, what does it mean plotting and planning? So, once again, this is about single. So you are saying that, you, you like okay, God, I'm ready to get married, so um, I'm going to uh, find somebody to marry, or maybe I'm dating somebody, so I'm gonna figure out a way to marry this person and get them to want to marry me, and this is my plan, God. But you know what? You got all these plans, and during all that time, now you know you think about it, and I know with women, when we think about that, we just woo, it's all the details. Men maybe, but they still spend about a good amount of time thinking about it. During all that time, what you should have been doing was praying. You should have been talking to God. You know what? The thing about it is, you're thinking about those things, and what God is saying, bring those thoughts to me. Say, God, you know, this is how I feel right now. This is what I want. Remember, God knows what you're thinking. There's no thought that you're having that he doesn't know. So he knows that you're thinking, I want to get married. Or, God, I, you know, I like this person, and I want them to ask me out. Whatever's going on, he sees that. So instead of sitting there plotting and planning in your own mind, talk to God about it. Keep your focus on God. Say, God, you know, this is what I want. What should I do? And then don't sit there and say, what should I do? And then stop praying and start planning your ways. Wait on God. Truly seek God. That's what truly seek God. Say, God, you know, and and I'm I'm just going to tell you what I say. I say, God, this this is what I do. This is what I would like. This is what I want to do. But God, first of all, I never want to do anything that pulls me away from you. Don't let me act irrationally, because I know me. So I'm like, God, show me, lead me, guide me, give me what I need to know what to do. And then, you know what? When it comes back up, and it comes, that thing comes back up in my mind, I pray something similar. I just say, God, I know you heard me. I believe you heard me. You're going to keep me. You, you have to have that contact with God. You have to keep that focus on him. Because the thing, natural considerations are going to come up. 
So you've got to keep the focus on him. That's how you can maximize the season because you're never going to let him, you're not going to get away from him. So you have to make sure that you are staying with him. That you're praying about these things, not plotting and planning and then saying, God, okay, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to do it. Now, God, can you say abracadabra and get that all done for me? That's not what you're doing. You're actually going to him. You're going to him with your feelings. You're going to him with what you want to do. And then you're not just going to do it. You're not just praying out of, out of like, oh, I prayed, so it's got to be right. No, you're asking him. So, the thing about it is, you know, when you ask somebody something, it's a, it's, it's, they're going to give you an answer. Now, if you just tell somebody something, like if I say, oh, I'm fixing to go home, nobody has to give me an answer. I'm leaving. But if I ask someone, may I go home, I have to wait for them to respond. So when we pray, we're asking God something. We're not saying, God, I'm going to. No, you're asking God and you're waiting for him to respond. When you do that, that's how you can commit your ways to God. When you commit your ways to God, that's how you can maximize the season that you're in. That's how you can make the best use of your time. Let's go over to um, let's go over to First uh, Corinthians chapter seven. I think I have enough time. First Corinthians chapter seven. We're going to look at verses thirty-two through thirty-five. Verse thirty-two says. But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried care for the things that belong to God, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married care for the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cared for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married care for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I, I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. So, you know, I've noticed some people think this, that single people have more time than, than married people. No. Just, just to clarify that. We all have 24 hours in a day, 7 days a week. Not that single people have more time. In some cases, though, Single people have fewer demands on their time. So, like, I am an unmarried woman. I do not have children. I'm not caring for um, an elderly parent. I don't have anyone depending on me. So I have less demands on my time. I don't have to ask anyone. So, for example, we were talking about, uh, Minister Martin mentioned the assessment. The assessment, I can give what I want to give. I don't have to go to my husband and say, well, you know, I know this is what the assessment is, and I see this extra money. I'm just going to, can we do this? No, as a single woman, I can say, there it is. I don't have to talk to anybody about that. You know, one of the things on the application when you volunteer in the ministry is, is your uh, spouse in agreement with this. Because if I come up here to the church and I spend, when we could, and I spend all day Saturday I'm not taking time away from my husband or my child. That's different when you're unmarried, when you're single. So, now, every single person's not in that same boat. Some single uh, people are maybe caring for their family. They may be single parents. They may have other responsibilities. But there are some people, single people, who are in, in the boat like, that I'm in. Take advantage of this time. You will never get, you may never get this time again. 
So while you have the time where there are less demands and there are, less, and there are things you can just do without question, do it. And I'm not talking about running around traveling and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about doing stuff for God. That's what I'm talking about. So make sure you make the most out of your time. We have to learn to do what is expedient in our lives, not just what is kind of good. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Just flip over a page. It's over on the page behind them. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So, all things are lawful to me. So, what is lawful? Lawful is that which is permitted, it's allowed, it's permissible. You can do it if you want to. You can do it. But, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. So what's expedient? Expedient is conducive, it's advantageous, it's better, it's profitable, beneficial. And hold on to this definition, because think of it in light of the teaching that we're doing here. Expedient is suitable for achieving a particular end in a given circumstance. So expedient is suitable for achieving a particular end in a given circumstance. Expedient is profitable. And profitable means to bring together for one's benefit. So what we have to do in the seasons of our lives to maximize the season that you're in, you cannot do just what's permissible or what's lawful, what you can do. Yeah, you can do a whole lot of stuff. But what we have to do is what's expedient that which is suitable for achieving a particular end in a given circumstance. So remember, God has a purpose. There are certain things that have to be accomplished in your life that God wants you to do in this season. So your decisions, the actions that you make, need to be expedient. They need to be suitable for achieving a particular end in a given circumstance. Just because something is technically legal to do, doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate and advantageous. So we always have to remember that. You can do a lot of things, but that doesn't mean it, it is spiritually appropriate. Sometimes you can do a lot of things and it's not spiritually appropriate. Or advantageous. It may not get you the advantage spiritually. It may, naturally, it may be just fine. But what is it doing with your spiritual walk? So we have to do those things which are expedient. Even though you can do a thing, if it doesn't strengthen your relationship with God, then you shouldn't do it. And see, that goes back to your focus. So if you're distracted, you may, in the corner of your mind, you may think about your relationship with God, but you're distracted, so you're not focused on it, so you're not going to make your decision based on what strengthens your relationship with God. You're going to make your decision on what you're focused on. The expedient decisions, those decisions are going to line up with sanctification and God's purpose. That's, that's one way you can tell. We have to keep our focus because we have to know the season that we're in in order to determine what's lawful versus what's expedient. So sometimes in, your, in the season that you're in, and I think in the first teaching I was talking about this, you may be a single person, you may have everything in place, and God may be saying, but now's not the time for you to date. 
but it's lawful for you. But it's not expedient. God is saying, no, I don't need you with that type of consideration right now. I need you to focus on this, and I need you to focus on that. I'm preparing you for some things, and right now, that's going to take away too much of your time, and it's going to do some things that you don't need right now, so I need you to focus. So when you know the season that you're in, you can't know the season that you're in if you're distracted. You have to be focused on God. When you know the the, the season that you're in, you can make the decisions that are expedient for you, not just lawful. Because the the lawful thing, just because you can do a thing, is not going to get you to that expected end. That which is expedient is going to get you where God wants you to be. It's very important, and I'm going to end with this. I cannot abuse, and what I mean by abuse means use for a purpose that it was not intended. So abuse here, what I'm saying here, is use this for a purpose that was not intended. I cannot abuse my unmarried state. There is a work that God has for me to complete, and this in every dispensation of my life. So I cannot abuse this season or this time in my life by doing something that God has not told me to do. I can't waste this time that God has given me. I can't use it carelessly. I must do what God has called me to do. I can't trust my flesh, and I can't trust my emotions. I can't trust ungodly counsel no matter who it comes from. My trust has to be in God. I have to stay focused, and I have to maximize the season that I'm in. Amen? This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.